All right, so let's go ahead and start up here. Got a bunch of slides to share with you. Stand with me if you're able to and turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at four pictures of the church today. Now, I was telling everybody my target really is to try to end at 12. We'll see. God willing. Lord, help me. So four pictures of the church. We're going to start reading from chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Father in heaven, teach us your word of truth and help us to see these pictures or that you depict, you illustrate of the church or the bride of Christ. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've adopted us into this new family. But teach us these things, Lord, and help us to learn how you want us to build, how you want us to grow, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. So in today's chapter, we're going to see as God gives us four pictures of the church. Again, four pictures of the church. Each of these four pictures, there's a way to build the right way. I'm working on the flooring at my home right now. I'm going to pray for me. My knees are not all that great. I realize, I know there's a reason why I'm not all that Asian. I don't like sitting on the ground. My kids are better. <laughs> really, Susan and the kids are way better at sitting on the ground. I'm like working on the flooring. Any of you guys ever work on houses before? So there's a right way to build and a wrong way. A wrong way also to build or grow in God's church. For instance... <laughs> If you're going to build a house, this is the wrong way to build a house. So this is supposedly a house that was delivered upside down. I love it. Someone took a picture. It's like, no, I don't think that's the right way. So obviously the wrong way to build a house. Now, if you're going to build an ATM on the side of a building, that's also the wrong way. I can't believe it. It's like, that's for giants. We got a bunch of tall guys here in this church. Maybe you guys can reach that. That's like me. Like, what? <laughs> Give me a boost. Susan. <laughs> So that's the wrong way to build. There's a right way to build and a wrong way to build. So likewise, as God shows us in his church, he's going to show us pictures of his church. And these pictures are going to teach us the right way that God wants us to build and grow. And it also reveals to us, let's say, improper building methods. The first picture of the church is people. And I'm going to show you on a chart. It's going to slowly be revealed here. The, the people. So just like there are physical babies, we got some babies here, and physical adults, in the church there's also spiritual babes in Christ, like Paul writes, as well as spiritual adults. So in verse 1, check this out. Again, back to verse 1, Paul says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So this is the first picture we're given. People. Spiritual people. He wanted to teach the Christians at Corinth as spiritual people, but he couldn't. He wanted to feed them with, as he says, solid food. And what is that? He wanted to give them God's word. But like he said, he went to Corinth and he determined to know nothing amongst them except Jesus Christ and what? And him crucified. So that's obviously for evangelism. But he really couldn't go too much deeper with them. 
Why? Because he says they were too carnal. They were too fleshly. So a picture of the church is that it's like people. We can grow to be mature like adults or stay babes in Christ. And the warning that's seen in this picture is that you and I must build the church with a solid feeding of what? All scripture. Again, church, ladies and gentlemen, raise your sword, would you? This is what God chooses to use. This is called the sword of the spirit. This is his weapon of choice, but also the way whereby which he tells us, commands us, exhorts us, encourages us, illustrates after story after story of how to grow, how to build in his church. So if we're not getting fed all scripture, then likely we're being fed, what? Carnal, fleshly things. And then we're going to stay spiritual babies. So this is what God does not want us to do. Let me give you a couple examples here. And you guys know, and I, this is my personal passion, some of these things. Who here loves eschatology? Bible prophecy. Study of end times Bible prophecy. Here's an example. The Bible is full, full of amazing prophecies, full of awesome, deep truths. Here's one that we look at often. The angel Gabriel prophesied, you'll find this in Daniel 9, verse 25. He prophesied, this might sound crazy, but 173,880 days between the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. What does that mean? There's one special day. You guys hear the song? I'm not going to sing it. My wife can. This is the day the Lord has made, right? This is the day that the Lord has made. So that is regarding Psalm 118. So that was prophesied in Psalm 118. It quotes in verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We celebrate that every year on the calendar during our Holy Week. Okay, what do we call that? Palm Sunday, the day of the triumphal entry. So for many of us, we may have grown up thinking, oh, Palm Sunday. And I, I hear that a lot of kids that grow up, like in Catholic families, like the parents might not go, like they kick their kids out. Go to church. Make sure you bring back a palm. Why? And I've heard this from a lot of people in the city. That was my proof that I went to church on Palm Sunday. Like, wow. So as kids, they grow up thinking that's all Palm Sunday is about. A day I remember Jesus riding a donkey, and I get this thing called a palm on Palm Sunday. But it's much more rich, much more deep than that. So what happens? Jesus enters Jerusalem. He weeps. He's holding the city and the leaders accountable. He prophesies Jerusalem's destruction. And he says, quote, because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's Luke 19, verse 44. So Paul wanted to teach them some of these deep truths that are there in the word. He couldn't, though, because they remained as carnal Christians. So that, by the way, and we'll, we'll look at that again around April-ish or so. I think end of March is around Palm Sunday for this time of year for us. But that's known as one of the most amazingly accurate prophecies in the entire 39-book Old Testament. Because it prophesies the exact day that Jesus had to come into Jerusalem. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says he's going to be riding what? A donkey. Psalm 118, the people are going to shout out. They're going to proclaim, declare Jesus as king. They're going to say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. I save us. Save us now, I pray. That was declared. Remember the religious self-righteous rulers? Like, hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus is saying, hey, if they're quiet, the stones will cry out. It's not that he's going to make stones become babies. It's as if he's saying, even if man messes things up, God's word will still be fulfilled. You've got to know how neat that is. And when you look at this prophecy, again, this is something that we as people, this is the analogy here, the illustration, the picture. 
We are, as people, we need to be fed milk. We need food. And Paul says, I want to feed you solid food. That's an analogy to say, I want to feed you deep truth in God's word, but I couldn't go deeper. This is one thing I love studying. Again, if you love Bible prophecy, whether past or future, these are things you cannot study Bible prophecy if you're just going to stay surface level. Does that make sense? So we want to go deep. We want to. So this is one of the most amazingly accurate prophecies in the entire Old Testament. But if we're not being taught the entire Bible, then what happens? We're going to think Palm Sunday is just about Jesus riding a donkey, and i got to go to church and get my palm. Big deal. But when you look at how amazingly accurate that day is, that Jesus arrived not one day early, not one day late, but exactly as planned, and if you look at the calendar, that's crazy to think. 173,880 days. He would heal people, and he's like, do you know who just did that? You're the Messiah, you're the king. Shh, don't tell anybody. Like, what, is he shy? No, he's protecting that day, because that's prophesied in Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. One and only one special day on God's prophetic calendar. The day that we call the day of the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. So if we don't go deep into Bible study, we're going to remain as spiritual babies in Christ, including me. And I don't want that. God doesn't want that for you. Neither do I. And we'll never mature. But if we do study amazingly accurate prophecies like this, I'll tell you what that does to the heart and for your faith when it comes to be just practicality of do I believe you, God? Do I want to believe and apply your word? When it comes to how amazingly accurate prophecies like that are, when you dig in and you get the solid food of God's word, you realize if you can prophesy something that amazingly accurate, the rest of the Bible is true as well. And that's how prophecy is. He speaks about the future as if it's already in the past. He says it. He declares it. It just is. Why? He is a God of truth. and He speaks his word of truth. It will come true. Amen. So now when it comes to future prophecy, when you study what we call eschatology, the study of biblical end times prophecy, you can count on that. But wait, there's more. So when you study that prophecy, in addition to that prophecy, the angel Gabriel goes on to prophesy. This is in Daniel's book. There's going to be a future seven-year period that the one that people call Antichrist is going to come in and make a seven-year covenant with Israel. I put the addresses here so you can look it up. Daniel 9.27. And then three and a half years into that seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to enter the temple, declare himself as to be God. You'll find that in 2 Thessalonians 2. Matthew 24. Jesus himself tells you, go back to the book and take a look, basically. That's Daniel's book. So that means there's going to be a future third temple. Now, I tell people, Jew and Gentile, old and new Christian, and I've heard a lot of people scoff and mock. And in the back of my head, you know what I know? They're not reading their Bibles. They're not caring. And we need to study these things. So if I believe that Jesus, as Daniel prophesied that one exact day, Daniel chapter 9, It's not Daniel prophesying it. It's the angel Gabriel coming to Daniel and he writes it in his book in Daniel chapter 9. If I can understand that on on Palm Sunday, he comes in exactly as planned and then because the leaders in Jerusalem did not receive him but rejected him, he prophesies then their destruction. He weeps over the city and then about 40 years after he leaves, you know, he dies on the cross, buries Resurrection ascends. About 40 years after that, what happened to Jerusalem and to the temple? 
It was destroyed, even as he prophesied, you know, tearing apart one stone apart from another. If it's that eerily accurate, what does that mean for the rest of that prophecy and the rest of the entire Bible? It's just as true, right? So when you go to the very next verse, then, which is Daniel 9, verse 27, we learn there's a seven-year period coming up. And Jesus tells us, go back to Daniel's book and take a look. When his disciples ask him an end times prophecy question, that's Matthew 24, before Jesus goes to the cross. So he encourages you and I to study this prophetic event. That's Matthew 24, verse 15. What do we call that event? The abomination of desolation, the most abominable thing. So this one that some will claim is the Messiah, who in reality will be what some call the Antichrist, he's going to go into the temple and can only be built in one city on the planet. What city is that? Jerusalem, and only one plot of land. What do we call that? The Temple Mount. So keep your eyes on Jerusalem and also understand what's going on right now in prophecy. The seven-year period then becomes the main key to unlock biblical end times prophecy. I've heard people, even a bunch of my friends, like, oh, give me another timeline. No, I don't need a timeline. Like, are you kidding me? Jesus declared that to the leaders in Jerusalem, he prophesied their destruction. He wept over the city. Why? They should have known their time, their day of visitation. You should have known the timeline. Okay, so he wants us to study. He doesn't want us to be spiritual babies, amen? He wants us to have solid food. So if we study these prophecies, then we're going to get fed deep truths in God's word. And let me just finish with this slide and we'll continue on. You might remember this for those that were recently here. We recently taught through the end times prophecies. This is back in January. Just actually, that's last month only. We taught about the rapture of the church. Rapture of the church, come on, give me a break. Do you know that when you study end times prophecy, especially these two things I just mentioned about what's called the, uh, the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday is prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 or by the angel Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9. And it leads you to... Uh, Jesus coming in on a donkey, Zechariah 9, verse 9. The people screaming out, blessed, you know, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, that special prophetic day. That, and then leads you to the next prophecy, which is what? That there's going to be a seven-year period coming in. That's still yet future. Because Daniel prophesied these, what's called 69, Sevens, a period of seven years, okay, 483 years or 173,880 days. And I don't want to bore you with the math, but he prophesied the exact day that Jesus came into Jerusalem. And then he also prophesied there's going to be a, an end times, for you and I, it's going to be end times, seven-year period that has not yet been fulfilled. We're living in that gap, that period between when Jesus came in to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and when that last seven-year period is going to start. What does that lead us to then learn about? There's going to be a period called the rapture of the church. And those of us that are serious students of the scriptures, we look at this and call me crazy. I don't care. But Jesus has it in the Bible where he's going to come back for his bride. Amen. He's coming back. We call that the rapture of the church. I don't care what you call it. The takeaway. The come here bride. Call it what you want. He's coming back. He says in John's gospel, I will receive you to myself. Think of the verbiage. I will receive you to myself. And then Paul goes on to be the main teacher of this. You could look it up like in 1 Thessalonians 4. So when you're studying this last seven-year period, and then Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 15, 
he declares about this thing called the abomination of desolation. And he says, then at that time, there'll be what's called the great tribulation. So don't let anybody deceive you when they say there's a seven-year great tribulation. Anybody hear of a seven-year great tribulation? That's false. There's going to be three and a half years in the seven-year period. At the time when the false messiah or one called antichrist goes into the temple in jerusalem on the temple mount declares himself to be god as second thessalonians chapter 2 jesus refers to that in matthew 24 verse 15 when this event happens he says go back to daniel's book and study and take a look what does he tell the jews run why because they're going to be hunted and killed you could marry that with uh, or study this between here and there uh, study like the rest of the book of Revelation or, or chapter 6 through 18, which is the great tribulation. We won't get into that now, but when you study these things, I want you to develop a taste, a hunger for God's word. And when we can dig into these things, these things of solid food, uh, we, we really will get to, and I'm going to have to move on, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're really going to get to dig in deeper to God's word. Let's just move on to the second picture. I'm like out of time here. Second picture of the church is that it's like a plant. Let's read in verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. Now he's talking about a plant. But God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building so the second picture of the church is that it's like a plant second picture it's like a plant by the way you can go and uh, read about and study the four soils that's mark 4 verses 1 to 20 four soils which soil does jesus want you to be fourth soil that's a soil that's a disciple who makes disciples a plant who makes other plants some will bear fruit how much some 30 some 60 some hundredfold All right, so he says here about God giving the increase. Look at this in verse 5 or verse 6 and on. Verse 5, though, Paul, we learn that he was the apostle who had planted. You hear of like church planting uh, through the grace of God. Not only by the grace of God, not by my choice. He used me and others to help plant this church. So you hear of church planting. Well, that's what the apostles did. They were the church planters. So Paul went... And he planted that church, the Christian church that was there at Corinth. And then we learn about a guy named Apollo. So let's go back a little bit more. Uh, stay tuned with Andy for the Acts Fellowship time on First Fridays. He'll teach you more about the book of Acts. But digging back into the book of Acts, we learn a little bit about Apollos. This is just right out of the scriptures. In Acts 18, verse 24 to 28, we learn he was a Jew. He was born at Alexandria, so he, he had a lot of good education. He was an eloquent man. He was a good speaker. He was mighty in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. It says, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he didn't learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit until later on. He knew the physical water baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. That was at Ephesus. And then someone, or this couple that Paul discipled, Achille and Priscilla, they heard Apollos. And they took him aside and started to do what? They started to disciple him. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then in Achaia, Apollos, it says, greatly helped those who had believed through grace. And also about him, he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. <laughs> Try that today. I'm like, Lord, give me boldness. I want to be able to do that. 
Showing from the scriptures that Yeshua, Jesus, is Messiah, the Christ. All right, so we learn also, uh, back to chapter 1, about this thing of division. Chapter 1, verse 12, Paul addresses the fact that some of the Christians at Corinth were being divided. Some were saying, hey, I'm of Paul. Others were saying, hey, I'm of Apollos. Hey, I'm of Cephas, which is who? Peter. Others are saying, hey, I'm of Jesus. He's like, is Christ divided, he says? So think about that. They're all workers working in the same field, is his point. We need to not just know how God wants us to fit, where he wants us to fit, how he wants us to function, okay, but to stay unified, amen? We need to be unified. We need to work together. And he mentions this word ministers. It's the word diakonos. Deacon. It means servant. We're just servants. So he's saying that both he, Paul, and Apollos were basically servants. They're working in the same field. So Paul was planting. He'll go out and evangelize. Christians get saved, just like we do here. We gather together. And then what happens? Apollos would come in. He was a great teacher. So he would be teaching them. He was the one that would come in and help feed them. Paul would be probably out there, hey, let's go get some more. <laughs> come on. You go teach them and feed them. I'm going to go get some more. Is Christ divided? Well, I really like sitting under the teaching of Apollos. I really like, you know, that speak of that person. No, it's we need to be unified. So he's saying that no matter if you're listening to Paul for salvation or listening to Apollos for sanctification, for your growth in Christ, we're all one. It's the body of Christ. We can't be divided. The word that he used for watered, I want to show you this. This word for watered, I just did a screen capture of my Bible study software here. Again, we want to go deep, amen? Okay, Solid food, I want you to go deep. I'll do the Bible study so you don't have to, but I want to show you the nuggets here. This word for watered, I love this definition. This is from Thayer's. You can blue letter Bible that and look that up on the app. Saturate one's mind. Saturate one's mind. So Paul went out, and he's preaching for evangelism, teaching them, speaking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. People are getting saved, and they're coming to Apollos. And what's he doing? He's watering them. He's saturating their mind with what? With the word. May you and I be saturated in our minds and our hearts with God's word. Amen? We need to. We must. And this is what we primarily do here, too. We can evangelize, but God willing, hopefully all you guys are saved, okay? If not, get saved. Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, being the Savior for your sins, that died on the cross, rose from the grave. Ascend into heaven, he lives forevermore. You need to believe, receive, repent from your sins and receive a new life in Christ, amen? And now that you're saved, guess what you need? Get off the baby bottle. <laughs> you get into deep truths in God's word, the solid food of God's word. That's what we need. So Apollos would water. He would saturate their mind with God's word. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what is not happening in many churches today that they're not being saturated in their minds with God's words, they're being saturated in their minds with what? Other stuff. Like how to be rich. How to, whatever it is. And people are falling to it. That's really sad. Uh, and I can, I need to exhort, this is personal for me, because I fell to that before. And it wasn't until I got discipled and I learned God's word, and like, I've been lied to. Has that been any of you guys? You've been lied to. It's like, once you've been burned, then you learn. That's a saying, right? Once you've been burned in God's word or by people, then you learn. So we need to be saturated in our minds, watered in the word, amen? That's what you and I need. So to water here can mean saturate one's mind. This is what Apollos did as a teacher of God's word. Another word I want to bring out here is 
This is what God's role is. Paul can plant. He can help people get saved, evangelize. Apollos can water. I can also water, perhaps. This is my anointing and calling, is to teach and preach God's word, only by the grace of God and the power of God. But guess what? God gives the increase. I love this. God gives the increase. So this is a word for increase. It can mean to cause to grow. It speaks of the inward Christian growth. Only God can do that. It's not a Paul. It's not an Apollos. It's certainly not a Drew. No, I mean, I'm just a dirt-level disciple like you. It cannot happen except for God to cause to grow. So only God causes increase. Only God causes growth. Think about that, Christian. It's because I wake up at 4 a.m. It's because I'm praying on my knees. I used to stand. I used to sit. I'm praying on my knees. You honor that more, God. It's because I point east. (laughs) You know, it's not any of that carnal, fleshly, worldly stuff. It's because God. That's it? That means I got to lean on his grace? That's right. It's because of God. So God is the only one that can cause increase. By the way, when you look at this original word in the original language, which is Greek, increase is written in what's called imperfect tense, as an action word. What does that mean? You've heard of that before in here. It's an ongoing action. In other words, God keeps giving increase. Paul can plant. Apollos can water. Someone, I could water. I could teach you guys word, but don't praise me. Amen? Do not praise me. Praise the Lord. Amen? Only God gives the increase. And if you keep saturating your mind with God's word, and we keep doing that, what will happen? God will keep giving you increase. God will keep giving you growth. Can anybody testify to God's word giving you increase? Okay. A couple of people can. <laughs> you all can, hopefully. God. God is the one that will keep giving you the increase of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity in your life. What's my part? I just got to teach you the word, got to water you, saturate your mind with God's word like Apollos, and point you to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is that it? That's kind of it. Well, what about, so I can't answer for them. God commands me and he exhorts me. He's going to hold me accountable to teach this. We must do that. So only God can cause growth. Let's continue on. The third picture of the church is it's like a building. Look at this in verse 9 and on. Let's read this. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a white master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. He's referring to also the same story that Paul preached and evangelized. Christians got saved. Another builds on it. Apollos came and watered them in the word. He saturated their hearts and minds with God's word. I lay the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So again, you can build a house in a good way, a proper way, and an improper way. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. All right, so the third picture of the church is that it's like a building. You'll find it here. I put on my chart, verses 9b, you could say, second half of the verse, to verse 15. 
So you must build with or grow with gold, silver, precious stones. Wait a second. You don't build a building that way. It's a metaphor. It's imagery he's giving. And what is that? That what happens when something like gold or silver passes through fire? Does it burn up? No. It gets refined, doesn't it? Okay. And we, we're going to learn this in another passage a little later on in this book. We don't have time to go through this now. But in the end times, or let's just say after we pass out of this life, you and I as Christians... We're not going to have the great white throne judgment where people get judged over their sins. And is it Jesus that died for their sins? For great white throne judgment? No. People that reject him, they're going to be judged and thrown into what? The lake of fire, which burns how long? Forever and ever. Hell itself, Hades is going to be thrown in there too. And for Christians, there is going to be a judgment. It's called the Bema seat or Bema seat judgment, which they had at Corinth. And Paul refers to that in another passage. It's like the Olympics, some would say, where you're getting judged over, are you going to get the gold, the silver, or the bronze? You get some kind of a reward. And this is kind of what's referred to here, some would say. So the day, look at verse 13. Their work is going to become clear for the day, capital D, the end times day, the day of the Lord will declare it. And we're not gonna. We don't have time to go into that in depth and detail. But there's a warning here to not build with inferior materials. Don't build with inferior materials. So if you build a building, are you gonna build it with mud? No. Okay. You're gonna want to build with proper materials. The same thing of what God says about the church. Okay. So the church needs to be built upon the foundation of what. Jesus Christ, you cannot build upon another foundation. It's not off a prima donna preacher, is it? Now, when I say that in your heart and mind, you might be thinking like me, like, wait a second, there's a lot of churches. There's a lot of networks of churches that are built off of prima donna preachers. And then what happens when that preacher falls? So does their network, right? But if the church is built upon Jesus Christ, I die, next, someone else takes over. That's how it should be. Right? Amen? Because it's about Jesus, not about me. So the church's foundation is Jesus Christ. Some build a church off of preaching about self. It's not my best life now. If this is my best life now, gosh, good Lord, God's a liar. And he's not. My best life is not now. It's going to be an eternity with him. Some build a church off of preaching about prosperity, about money, or some other fake gospel. You can't build a church off it. That's not a church. The church is a pillar and ground of the truth. So we need what? God's word of truth. Amen? You must build it with God's truth. All right, so verse 12 teaches us that those who build in God's church with wood, hay, and straw, that, that's depicted, let's just say, of things of the flesh, carnal, things that will burn up. In the end times, on Bema Seat Judgment Day, through the fiery gaze of Jesus, you can look at it like this. As we get rewarded for what we did do, in other words, what did we obey that the Lord said? That's it? That's pretty much it. So some might be there going, oh, I wonder what I'm going to get. I built a mega church. And then Jesus will look at that and go, wood, hay, stubble. Burns up through his fiery gaze. Nope, I called you to be a prayer warrior. But I didn't want to do that. Come on, I studied marketing. I knew what to do. I had a lot of money. I had, I had connections with friends. I got a couple of politicians, some pro athletes. I got them all together, and it was a good way to, to stir up a crowd. I built up a big church for you. Jesus looks at that and says, that's not a church. The church is the pillar and ground of what? The truth. So passing through his fiery gaze, it'll burn up. And what do they get? 
nothing. The reward, eternal reward, which is really sad, pretty bad investment. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And we're going to have to close here in just a bit. So the result of that, if you don't build, just like building a building, if you don't build in God's church according to God's prescribed, commanded, encouraged method, which is declared only in the word, not I feel like it. No, God says it. Okay, Only what God says in the word. If you don't, there's no eternal reward. Great exhortation to know God's word and to know how to detect and authenticate the will of God and you simply do what? Do the will of God. Okay, So then after we die, the test is now after we die, you're going to get a re- an eternal reward if you do what Jesus says to do. Is that it? That's it! That makes life with Jesus and the walk with Jesus pretty simple then, right? Don't do what I say, do what Jesus says. Amen? That's it. And it's not in my words, it's in God's word. Let's continue on. The first, the fourth, sorry, and last picture is that the church is like a temple. So you got people, plant, building, and temple. Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, when I was younger, when I was a kid, we erroneously used to apply this. We go to the gym. We look in the mirror like, I'm checking out my temple. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm working out. Well, I've got to build up my temple. I, that might sound funny. As a kid and when I was young and very immature and a babe in Christ, we would talk about those kind of things. Uh, and I hear Christians today, even on Facebook and social media, it's like, take care of your temple. That's not what it's saying. You'll find if you're looking, you want to study this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All of those things, Paul writes to this Corinthian church, who's very carnal, telling them, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what is that speaking of? The temple of God was a place, it was also called God's house. It was a place that contained the presence of God. You need to know this. Now, what was prophesied by God in the Old Testament time is that there's going to be a new covenant, a New Testament time to come. The indwelling of the Lord, where there's going to be a time where God would come to dwell within you and I. That we wouldn't have to seek him going to Jerusalem, sacrificing on a mountain. All will know me, he says. And what will happen? He will come to dwell within the believer. You could read in John's Gospel where Jesus says, all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to live, abide, reside, dwell within you. So in the Old Testament time, people had to seek God. They'd go through the tabernacle or the time of the temple for the first temple or the second temple. They'd have to go to Jerusalem to seek God. You made one sin because you you broke God's word. You didn't even know it. Some A friend told you or the Holy Spirit convicted you. Oh, man. I got to go to Jerusalem now, and I live in Kentucky or wherever. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts about the law. You, no loopholes in law. You'd have to go. Mom, I'm going again. Why don't you just live in Jerusalem? You sin every day. I know. Maybe I should. That's a bad way to live, right? So who here wants to live according to the Old Testament? Nobody. Well, I live. I, you talk to people. I live according to the Ten Commandments. Oh, you just broke them right now. <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> you can't. 
The law was my schoolmaster, Paul writes, to lead me to who? To Messiah, to Christ. Okay? To the fact that you can't live according to God's word. Christ did. Okay? The law, the way to approach God. So this new covenant time, God's spirit comes to live within you. He's a Holy Spirit. What's he going to train you for? Holiness. Holiness. Think about that. We sing about that sometimes, right? Holiness, holiness. What I long for. Do we really? So God will give you his helper himself to train you for holiness. He doesn't want you to build with defileness. So someone says, oh, I sleep around. You're a Christian? Yes. No, you're not. No, you're not. How can you be? Right? You can't drag Christ into that relationship, can you? Oh, I take drugs in Christ. God made marijuana. I remember talking with some of my relatives. God made marijuana plant. Yeah, but he didn't tell you to smoke it. (laughs) Right? Think about that. Come on, it's legal now. Yeah, because of the law. (laughs) Not because of God's law. So he wants us to be holy, and you can't do it on your own, so what does he do? He gives you the Holy Spirit. It's going to train you for holiness, amen? You're meant to be a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a holy place. Now, we mimic that in the church life today. We call this room a sanctuary, a dwelling place of God's spirit, God's presence. But you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are. Think about that in every conversation, in every relationship. You're bringing God into that. You're not God, but he lives within the born-again spiritual Christian. And he wants that relationship to keep getting more and more holy. You need to develop your own life and walk with personal purity and holiness. And he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to help you. He sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help you. Amen? All right, we need to close here. So a Christian, it's you and I. We can't be involved in things of sin. That's the stuff of the past, right? Living life in Adam. But we need to live life now in Christ. This new life in Christ, amen? And he's given you the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand, please. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And we'll be able to celebrate our time with food and fellowship and fun. But I, I just want to close with this reminder again. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again Christian, he's given you a new life. You've been birthed anew, born again through the Spirit. He comes to live within you, the Holy Spirit. And you cannot be occupied by an, by an unholy spirit. A true Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Amen? Why? Because you're a possession. You're a property of the Holy Spirit. An unholy spirit cannot live within you. That's only one of the many tens of thousands of reasons why to get saved. So you can't be demon-possessed. So now he occupies you. And he's training you and I for holiness. He wants to empower you to live a life of righteousness. To be a follower of Jesus, Messiah. The one that the Father sent because of his love for you. Who died on the cross for your sins. And now we want to dedicate a life committed to him and following him. Amen. Father in heaven, we ask that you would please empower us. We are your temples, Lord. There's going to be a third physical temple built. But we're a spiritual temple. A receptacle, a holder. It's like the ark. It was a holder, a keeper. And Lord, that's the, the Ark of the Covenant. That's the main thing that was placed within the temple itself or the tabernacle. And your house, the temple itself, that was just a picture of what we are now. 
And so, Lord, we ask that you would please continue to speak to us. You say, Jesus, my sheep, hear my voice. Teach us your holy word. Help us, Lord, to see these pictures. These are all depicting ways that we need to grow and build with you. Help us to dig into your word of truth. Open up our understanding of your word. And help us, Lord. Oh, help us to cry out to you daily and to follow your instructions. To be pleasing to you. But empower us through your spirit that lives within us. We ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.